This is the one with a necessarium. The snide of the Valkyries. Exquisite knotwork. Anachronistic potatoes. And a felonious monk. It's called The Book of Kells. Here, Here we go. Reviewing stuff for Rebels 2. Because we love our Doctor Who. Cultish robots are no bore. Hosting prison, why not sure? The Lord Haven and Blackpool. Orbis Phobos, pretty cool. Now and then and here and there. We'll follow Doc 8 everywhere. Who back when? Reviewing all of who there is. Who back when? Subscribe and rate on iTunes, please. Audiobook by audiobook. Even those that are gobbledygook. We'll review them all, you see. So join us on this odyssey. It's who back when? Who back when? Hello, ladies and gentlemen of podcast land. <laughs> was that blasphemous? I apologise. Oh, was that a monk chant? I <laughs> thought you were taking the piss out of the theme we've just cobbled together. <laughs> that, was a, <laughs> that was a beautiful theme, by the way. Oh, I feel like I just killed my own joke. But anyway, <laughs> welcome to another fantabulous episode of Who Back When, a Doctor Who podcast. Oh, Doc Past. Correcta Mundo, that lovely voice whom you have heard not only speak, but sing. Correct, Armando. <laughs> Belongs to Drew. Hello, Drew. Hello, Leon. Oh, <laughs> I gave it away. <laughs> oh, spoilers. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I am Leon, and today we are going to be talking about The Book of Kells. Yes. Written by Barnaby Edwards, released in September 2010. Nice. Mm. Who back when bringing you the deets? <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel like now rewatch podcasts are a recognised category because we've never caught up. We essentially are one. I know this is the re-listen arm of one, but sure. if we give the deets, then we'll become what we always were or something. <laughs> what well, we were destined to remain. That's, yes. <laughs> no, wait, no. No? <laughs> we're gonna catch up. <laughs> Before we jump into a bite-sized chunk of who, mm. can I just say, called it. Yes, you did. <laughs> Absolutely you did. And oh. how. And how. Bisco? Let's! Time for us to synopsize, lobify and summarize. So take a view and grab a brew and listen to this overview, this free for all. We like to call a bite sized chunk of who. Bite sized chunk of who. Oh, brother, Timothy has come a cropper, wing boned by a vortisaur after hours in the library of Kells Abbey in 1006, as Norse King Citric rides from Dublin to inspect the ornate Book of Kells upon its long awaited completion. Nary a moment has passed since the friar's fatal frying when, out of a TARDIS glowing blue hot, the Eighth Doctor and Tamsin Drew stagger straight into a plot to pilfer the book. At least one of the monks is not what he seems, and our time travelling duo are. Caught in the metal. Bisco over, you are welcome. And you just. <laughs> There's going to be a lot of that. <laughs> I can feel it. Do you want me to start with a question? Sure, yeah. Because I've got so many questions. Were you able to follow this one? Not the first time properly. Oh. I listened to this twice. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I followed along with the story. I, I mean, I think I did. But there were definitely times the first time I listened to this, which, again, I listened to on a bike <laughs> the first time. The second time I actually sat down and I listened to it properly. Maybe it, you need to rethink your listening environment. I know. But there were definitely times where I went, wait, hang on, which monk is which? You know, who's Patrick? Who's this? Which name belongs to which character? Yeah. Also, it doesn't help that Olaf and King Citric sound incredibly similar. I disagree. You don't think they sound similar? I don't think so at all. Oh, but you're more attuned to Scandinavian accents. I feel like King Citric, his pronunciation is brilliant. What's the chap's name? The chap who plays King Citric, his pronunciation is top-notch. Yep. And the chap who plays Olaf, maybe not so much. King Citric is played by Terence Hardiman. Ah, yes. Who we have met before on Doctor Who. Oh, have we? Yes, we have. In 2010, he was the hot property. He was the hot ticket. He was in The Beast Below oh, as right. well. Wait, whom did he play? He played Bartholomew or Oh, something. yes, he's the chap in charge of electrocuting the whale. Yes, he is. And as we have said in that episode, he was also the demon headmaster. Yes, that's right. And actually, I've gone into a lot more review of him. We will get to Olaf. So yes, King Citric, Terence Hardiman, has also previously played an abbot. Oh, really? Abbot Rodolphus in Cadfile. With Derek Jacobi, <laughs> the Jacobi. <laughs> I believe that's the only way his name can be uttered. Yes. Well, correctly. 
correctly. I should have said, Sad Eric. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, you get the idea. Yes, definitely. Actually, I'd written in my notes, I must pay due respect to Terence Hardiman's attempt to create a medieval Norwegian with a tinge of Irish hybrid accent because he was consistent and he was understandable. And I thought he did a pretty good job. I think they all did a very good job. I just felt that the chap who played Olaf, already forgotten his name. Nick Brimble. Thank you. Nick Brimble. (laughs) He sounded like someone who maybe had heard someone pretend to be Scandinavian on television. What do you mean, Leon? Yeah. I mean, for all I know, that is an authentic accent from 1006, but yeah. In the post-credits, behind-the-scenes interview bit... There was an interview with, already forgotten him, Citric. Terence Hardiman. Thank you, Terence The demon Hardiman. headmaster. The demon headmaster. I'm just going to refer to him as that. Or Bartholomew. And he was said to have sort of channeled Max von Sydow. Yeah. I can hear that. It sounded authentic. It sounded really good. Hmm. The other one, yeah. I don't know whom he was channeling. And you've also forgotten his name already, right? Nick Brimble. Nick Brimble, of course. Who could forget Nick me? Brimble? Yeah. Sure. Just like Bartholomew. Nick Brimble has done previous Big Finish adventures. I'm not surprised. He was in Max Warp. Ah. Which, as I recall, JD loved. Oh, okay. I think so. Well, I mean, JD loved this entire season, and I think we're beginning to see why. Do you want to say high level how you felt about this one? Well, I wouldn't say it was a five. I went here. I wouldn't say that either. But I did like it. Yeah. I think what JD meant was the way the season dovetails together and the arc is like a 5.0 arc because we also know who else is going to come bounding in later in the season already. Yep. We don't know how the season finishes. We weren't certain that this was the monk. I was pretty certain this was the monk. Yes, you were. But there are still five adventures. There is a long way. The monk could die next week. I don't know what's going on. Unfortunately, I didn't look ahead, but I looked up the monk just to see what else has he been in, blah, 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 Mm -hmm. the character. And by the way, I should offer up an apology because I think on this podcast, on some prior occasion, I have said that the monk appeared in The Time Meddler, and I think I said The Chase. It's not The Chase. It's The Dalek's Master Plan. And I wanted to see, wait, have I really misunderstood that? Yes, I did misunderstand. I did misremember that. But I also saw which future stories... He will be in. Oh, really? Audio stories. And for that reason... Don't tell me. Don't tell me. I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to tell you. But for me, I'm still a virgin idiot. What I can tell you is there's a tremendous amount of stories, audio stories, with the monk. Yeah. Not just Eighth Doctor Adventure stories. I mean, there are tons of ranges of Big Finish stories, right? And some of them might take place before this even. Who knows? Yeah, it sounded when the Doctor was listing some of the places he'd seen the monk, it sounded like more often than he'd been on television. No, that was Dalek's Master Plan. Well, that was both of those. What if it's Stonehenge and... Stonehenge, I think, is in Dolly's... Oh, maybe And there was a volcano, and there was Egypt, and there was the Battle Egypt of Hastings. Egypt is Dolly's master plan. And... Battle of Hastings is Time Meddler. Oh, okay. Stonehenge, I'm not sure about now. That might be another audiobook. Maybe. Yeah. No, I don't think so. I think I read in the trivia that this is the first time since the Dolly's master plan that that character has been used. Oh, right. I think so. Actually, the after-story interviews would seem to bear that out. Right. Because they did sound like they were resurrecting him for the first time. It is theoretically possible that they already had some other stories in mind and that he therefore dropped some location that they intend to visit at a later stage. Yeah. But with the exception of Stonehenge, which I'm not now sure about, I'm going to say probably most of that was Dark's Master Plan. Okay, cool. Well, you've already answered my... No, you haven't answered my next question. (laughs) My next question was also about pronunciation. Okay. Did you like Paul McGann's pronunciation of Gesundheit? Oh, I don't remember. Oh, I guess when she's covered in chalk. And she sneezes. Yeah. I didn't think about it. It sounded very considered. Oh, nice. He clearly had you in mind. I would like to believe that Paul McGann does nothing half-heartedly. There's nothing without consulting his mental image of you first. (laughs) I don't know about that. What would impress Leon? I mean, a man can dream. I'm going to stride across this railway station. I mean, I was just shuffling, but I'm going to McGann my way across it. My goodness, did he McGann. My goodness, did he McGann. And I was there. I was still a smoker at the time. Oh, I remember it like it was yesterday. (laughs) Paul, do you remember it too? (laughs) 
Please write in. Yeah, please do. So I have a question for you now. Okay. At what point did you, because I'm assuming that you had the monk in mind regardless, because we had this conversation the last time. Right? Yes. You salted the earth for me. I apologize for that. That's right. <laughs> I burnt it. At what point did you realize, yep, this is the chap? Did I realize that Graham Garden was the monk? Oh, it, not necessarily who was the monk, because I didn't realize that at first, but that this was a monkery episode. Oh, right. Well, I first realized it would be Graham Garden when he had no idea of the wisdom of St. Columba. Yes. Okay. This was the scene where he says, oh, I only know it in the original Latin. Yeah. The one? Yeah. yeah, exactly. And he's able to just come up with a lie. And you can hear that he's lying because he's yeah. not hiding it particularly well because he's just enjoying lying too much. Yeah, I agree. And actually, this is also a testament because I recognized him in that scene. Well, I, under- I figured this must be years. Yeah. But this is also a testament to the fact that at this point in listening to the episode for the first time, I don't know who's who. <laughs> <laughs> Because I also remember later on being surprised to find out who was the monk. Oh, right. Yeah. So Graham Garden, his voice just rang out above all the Cowley Road traffic noise. Yeah, exactly. And the pedestrians, <laughs> you're running over and their anguished cries. Boy, I'm, zebra a ver- crossing. I'm a very good-natured cyclist. Yeah. How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> but regardless, Graham Garden came out loud and clear. Yeah, sure. Lovely. Did you ever, the monk. Did you ever find that the name Thelonious for a monk was maybe a little oh, of a giveaway. Yeah, that too. Mm. It had to be done by someone in the know. I thought, actually, it might have just been a the bad BBC. pun on the part of the writer. Or Not the, the BBC, finish. yeah. yeah. A Barnaby Edwards conceit. <laughs> like, I can't pass up this opportunity. I don't know when I'm going to write a monk story again. I guess, yeah, that's a very solid theory. But I pretty much knew he was the monk. I know they tried to do some misdirection and have you think that Jim Carter playing Brother Bernard was Bernard, the monk. yes, the librarian. Because in the interviews, once again, they said, if we hire a big-name actor to play him, then people Everyone will assume will, he's exactly, the villain. Exactly, yeah. But I didn't think, because I never watched Downton Abbey. Nor I. And so I didn't think of him as a big enough actor. But I recognise his face. I've only seen one episode of Downton Abbey, and I recognise his face from other things than posters for Downton Abbey on buses that try to run me over as I listen to audiobooks on my way to work. But has he not been in something else? Oh, he's been in a few things. Let me tell you. (laughs) All right, let's hear it. He's played Mr. Carson (laughs) in Downton Abbey, obviously. He was Cogman in hopefully the last Transformers film. So you won't have seen his face there. He played Colonel Mephisto Palomares in the 1990 TV series of Zorro. That's a fantastic name. Mephisto... Calamari? Mephisto Palamares. (laughs) Palamare. Notable for his return in the episode Return of the Devil. Wow. Sounds like a stand-up chap. Return of the Devil. His name is Mephisto. Yeah. My goodness, this is so good. Yeah, I really want to see that. Yeah, me too. (laughs) He's been acting since at least 1980 when he was in Flash Gordon. Oh, he was. Yes, I saw that on his IMDb page. Yeah. What? My goodness. Did you see this? In 1985, he starred as Starstrider. In the children's TV quiz show, Starstrider. Oh. His sidekick, Walt, was played by a diminutive individual. A sort of strange-looking chap. A strange-looking chap? Yeah. Who? Someone who, who was a bit small and a bit obsequious and a bit elfin, perhaps. When you say small and... Oh, you're talking about Warwick Davis? No, no, no. Vinnie Lee. He was played by none other than... <laughs> who? The... Seventh Doctor. Doctor. Sylvester McCoy. Oh! Oh, wow. And he said he'd also worked with Paul McGann 30 years ago, so he's probably acted alongside any number of doctors. What, when Paul McGann was six years old, that man has not aged. (laughs) Well, this episode was also recorded 10 years ago, so that's 40 years ago now. Holy moly. So, yeah, was Paul McGann a child? No, I'm kidding. I'm I'm assuming he's in his 50s. Yeah. He's aged very well. Really want him to come on the show, okay? I, re- I busted, all right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, another question for you. Go for it. Uh, this is probably something that I brought up in the last review that we had of an audiobook, that Tamsin Drew mm-hmm. may just have been a stand-in for Lucy Miller in what, at the time, we theorized was originally a Lucy Miller adventure. Oh, yes. In this one, clearly that's no longer the case. You say that? I mean, maybe it has been repurposed, but my question is, and I've made some notes one way or another towards the rating section of this episode, how do you feel about her now? Do you feel like she's actually chiseled out a character of her own? 
No, I feel like that less than ever. Really? And part of that was confirmed by my listening to the after-show interviews, because this was the first episode she recorded. Oh, right. Right, right, right. Okay. Yeah, because her debut in... X Factor, what's it? Situation Vacant was the third one she recorded, and they made a big point of saying then, we want her to come in and actually be quite stable, and so she doesn't sound like she's really learning the ropes during her first adventure, because that sounds really obvious. I think it sounds fairly obvious here. She is not the person she was last week. I mean, last week she didn't take any orders, and she was annoying, but this week she's just flat-out stupid. There's a gap of two seconds between, I'm going to chase him, Doctor, ah, falling in a heap of shit! Yeah, okay. Yep, 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 yep. I guess maybe you could make the argument that she didn't expect there to be a shit hole. <laughs> yes, true. Okay, so the scene that stands out for me is the one where she is suddenly forced to improvise when she thinks of the character of Sister... Sister Maria. Yeah, Maria. From Salzburg. That's the one. And she was an out-of-work actress, right? Yes. She was a failed actress. Oh, with good reason. And how? And I think that really came across in this one. This is a scene to highlight how poor her acting skills are. I see. And it's something that Lucy Miller would not have... Lucy Miller would have thought of something really snappy, probably a little on the vulgar side. Yeah. Not necessarily believable, but because of the slapstick nature of Lucy Miller the characters she was interacting with would probably believe her. Yeah, or just be overawed by her bluffing. Yeah. Bluffness. Sure. Or possibly she would then kick them in the shins and run off, and that would be it. Yeah. But in this one, there was an excuse for part of her character's backstory. Mm -hmm. And that I felt was good. Like, finally, we get a little bit of, a little bit of Tamsin Drew. Yes, there is also a lot of drama school chat in this episode. I mean, don't get me wrong. I also find that the line is very blurry, very thin mm-hmm. between the two characters. But there were a lot of references to, just cultural references, that Lucy Miller would not have had. Yeah. Sorry, I just cut you off there, didn't I? Yeah, you basically finished my point for me. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> I retract my apology. But yes, I spent most of last week going, ugh, Tamsin Drew, my namesake. <laughs> when are you going to live up to you know my lofty levels? And I'm still not convinced. Mm-hmm. How did you feel about her across the episode? And I'm not saying Nikki Wardley is doing a bad job. Nikki Wardley she's is... She's doing a great job. Yeah, she's giving it with gusto. Yeah, no, I think she's great. But the character is such... Okay, maybe this is not the best episode for her. Maybe this is a character who is not done right by because she still hasn't had an episode that properly showcases her range. Yeah. In this episode, she was very often just a damsel in distress... I mean, she was a klutz. She would fall into a, a shithole. She would fall down a chute. Yeah. Uh, she was hit over the head at one point, I think. She had to be rescued by the doctor rather than have her hand chopped off. And... Yep, she stood on his jacket by accident. Exactly. He called her feet clodhoppers, <laughs> which is great. He laughed when he was dumping rainwater he down He did her. it again. Yeah. <laughs> It was very slapstick. Right? And that's not as worthy a treatment as most companions usually get. Hmm. And perhaps they thought we can do it now because it's a bit more familiar. Or possibly this is the first time that we're recording with this person. Let's not give her too much before she settles in and has a rapport with her co-stars and so on. Okay. Oh, no, maybe. I'm I'm just... It's probably both, isn't it? Yeah. There's another actor in this, by the way, whom we've encountered before. Do go on. I have no doubt that this is somewhere in your trivia. Brother Patrick is played by Ryan Sampson. Ah, yes. Continue, because I did not get this until I listened to the interviews. Ah, okay. He portrayed Luke Rattigan, not the inventor of Facebook, in the Sontaran Stratagem. Yes. And whatever the other one was called. I would never have guessed that these two voices came out of the same gullet. Nor I. I'm really quite impressed. Yeah. His Irish was entirely consistent to the point where I thought it was a bit of a stereotype, but not on his account, on like the casting team's account. Sure. Because I thought, oh, an Irish monk called Patrick, he's singing in a flawless accent as well. The guy's got any number of skills. The guy's a double threat. (laughs) (laughs) No, very impressive. Really good stuff. Hmm. Bouncing back to the behind the scenes stuff, he was a little bit more down to earth than Terence Hardiman. Yes. Only in the sense that Terence Hardiman went... Actually, it's a marvellous coincidence, isn't it? Because, you see, I have actually been on Doctor Who before, so I am quite 
well chosen for this part. That is not how Terence Hardiman came across at all. He said, well, I thought I might get to the end of my career and not get to play anything. And I've been called twice in one year and I'm over the moon about it. Oh, okay. All right, I take it back. I say, I'm on a bike. Okay, I'm on a bike. <laughs> <laughs> I apologize, Terence Hardiman. <laughs> You better watch out. He's still the Demon Headmaster. He played the original Demon Headmaster in Return of the Demon Headmaster just last year. Which I'm sure I mentioned when we last encountered him. I have no experience of whatsoever. Right. Well, don't watch it because you'll be hypnotized. I think that's what's led to Brexit. Oh, oh. Well, yeah, I think it started then. Bloody shame, isn't it? Mm. Damn oh, you, Terence Hardiman. <laughs> <laughs> that's not okay. <laughs> and there is one other actor, Ash Hidminster. Yes, right. How many times did you listen to this audiobook? Twice. Did you suspect anything the first time? Of Brother Lucianus? Um, I hate to say, not one whit did I suspect <laughs> Brother Lucianus. Nor I. Hey! Yeah. Here's my friend who's as dumb as me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the voice sounded perfectly realistic the first time. Yeah, it did, didn't it? The second time, after having heard the <laughs> behind-the-scenes trivia... Knowing what you now know. Yeah, knowing that it was actually her voice vocoded as opposed to separate actors, I couldn't unhear it. It sounded like the weirdest fake voice ever. It did, and also you could pick out her delivery and her yeah. diction yeah. and her rhythm. Definitely. Yeah. Which is, that's a good thing. That's a lovely thing because, I mean, as I said, I didn't suspect a thing the first time around. No, not even when Tamsin Drew was saying, oh, Lucianus is lissom, isn't he? And then, oh, Lucianus cried like a girl. Yeah, yeah. And the fact that Tamsin Drew was able to rugby tackle Lucianus at all. Yeah, there is that. Having been physically extremely ineffectual up to this point, apart from knocking Brother Bernard in the head with a clodhoppers. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, it was an amazing twist, though, wasn't it? It really was. Yeah. And it's a post-outro scene. I really hope people stayed on for that. Yeah, rather than just going, ah, here's the TARDIS sound. Yeah, yeah okay, to yeah. The next Turn one. it off. Oh, it was good. I'm adding an entire 0.5 to the episode just for that. Oh, I like the granularity. Excellent stuff. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was great. And that's what I mean. Lucy is coming back. The monk is in the mix. We know who else is coming. They must come together really well, and there must be an epic finale, and that just overrode all the critical thoughts JD had about all prior episodes. <laughs> it's possible. Well, I mean, he, he gave Blink 4.0. He's not the sort to just give 5.0s out willy-nilly. That's true. That's true. Do you think audiobooks need to be, or these audio dramas need to be rated on a slightly different scale? I am rating them on a slightly different scale. I'm rating them far more charitably I, than... Yeah, I think I am as well. You're, no, you're not. You're giving them 1.8s and yeah. saying, my past <laughs> yeah. self would have given this a 1.7, but I'm far more evolved now, so 1.8. Oh, okay, first off, shut up. Secondly, <laughs> <laughs> I... I you no, know, you're right, aren't you? <laughs> Damn it. In my head, I do feel like, at least when I'm listening to them, I have endeavoured to be slightly more open-minded about it. It's a format that comes with so many challenges yeah in the reviews themselves you are completely even-handed it's only in the ratings where my past self less wise than my present self drew yes less wise. as we will learn tonight <laughs> yeah, tonight's the night podcast land 2.1 i'm just gonna write down 5.0 right now <laughs> <laughs> thanks jd <laughs> but yeah i slate it all the way through and give it a high three and you give it a low two and and love it you're right, it does require more leniency. However, mm -hmm. the number of sword-being-drawn sound effects that you hear in this episode... Are like, there really that many? There's like a dozen of them. Really? Yeah, the king's doing it, Olaf is doing it at various points. Uh, it was the mm. same thing every time. Oh my goodness, you won't find that sort of stuff in Operation Pandorica. No, not at all. <laughs> bum, bum, bum. <laughs> <laughs> Spot on. <laughs> oh, I was going to draw attention to the audio-specific thing that I really liked about this episode. All right, okay. When Doc and Tamsin are in the chest, did you clock this? Most of the time, it's pretty much coming out of the middle of the speakers. Mono, essentially. But mm -hmm. when they were hiding in the chest, Doc was in your left ear and Tamsin was in your right. 
Oh, I didn't think about this. And it felt like you were in the chest with them, hearing them whisper on either side of you, and like you were peeping out at Brother Lucianus up to their nefarious deeds. Oh, I love it. And it, it really was absorbing for that entire scene. I loved it. I loved that scene in general, but I didn't pick up on that little detail. Just goes to show, I mean, it's, it's such a nicely produced, this whole series, with a few exceptions, which on occasion we've pointed out on this podcast, but this whole series in general is so incredibly well produced that you end up taking for granted some of the qualities. Mm. I didn't consider that at all. Very nice. I was going to call out a couple of references to other audiobooks that we've had. Actually, not just audiobooks, other who that we've had. Doc and Tamsin are time-scooped in this one. That does sound familiar. It does sound familiar because, actually, we may have encountered time scoops in New Who as well, but we encountered a time scoop in a classic serial called Invasion of the Dinosaurs. Oh! It's a fantastic, fantastic serial. Absolutely love it. And the other thing that I was going to say was the Vortisaur, the Vortisaur itself. We encountered Vortisaurs in an audiobook called No More Lies. Actually, I looked up Vortisaurs. They appear in a whole bunch of audiobooks. Yeah, I saw that And in comic books as well. Yeah. But we've reviewed one of them. JD and I reviewed No More Lies. I hate the idea of Vortisaurs. Partly because it makes other lines in this episode make less sense. Oh, really? In what way? Tamsin accuses the Doctor of not being able to fly his TARDIS properly. Yeah. And says, ah, you probably just reversed into something in the time vortex. And the Doctor says, well, there's nothing in there to reverse into. Yes, there are Vortisaurs. Yeah. And then later on, he says about how there's no social scene in the time vortex. Yes, there is Vortisaurs. <laughs> <laughs> not just that, in fact. Hang on. One second. How does Hannibal Leaving all of this. In fact, not just Vortisaurs, but also the Tarmadork. The what? What? Yes. The Babadook. The Tarmadork in of, uh, of previous audio who theme song fame. Oh, that would have come in really handy. <laughs> No more podcast land. <laughs> <laughs> Who rode the Vortisaurs. They flew atop oh. Vortisaurs in the Time Vortex. Vortisaurs are basically pterodactyls. They're like gigantic pterodactyls that fly in the Time Vortex. Yeah. And the Tarmadog, I can't remember what their role was exactly, but they seem like just these barbarian hordes who are after anything. They like they feast on temporal energy of some sort. Right. And they just fly through the Time Vortex and <laughs> effectively eat time travellers. I may misremember that, maybe listen to our review of No More Lies. Yeah, well, I also hate the idea because it now makes me feel like I haven't been paying enough attention to the intro sequence of all Doctor Who that I've been watching on telly. I feel like at some point a Tarmadork should be riding a Vortisaur in the background as the TARDIS barrels past it. Hold that thought. I'm just going to write Vortisaur next audiobook. There we go. I'm back. Oh. <laughs> Started working on it. Started working on it. Oh, so he did. Mm, yes. Mm, mm. Can't wait to see it. Well, we can have a chat about it later if you like. After uh, the second episode we record tonight. <laughs> yes, we are. Because we don't want to sleep. Who wants to sleep? So we've talked about most of the cast. Yes. We've name-checked Graham Garden. Uh-huh. I would like to take this opportunity to correct several errors I made previously. Oh, really? At the end of the last episode. Oh, let's hear it. I said that he was a member of the Goonies. Of course he isn't. He's a member of the Goodies. Alongside Bill Oddie and fellow, I'm sorry I haven't a clue, stalwart Timbrook Taylor, he was a member of the goodies which ran on the BBC and ITV from 1970 to 1982, which was seven years longer than Monty Python ever lasted. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So, banal question for you. Okay. What the crap are the goodies? The goodies was a slightly more slapstick, maybe kids-oriented, just a bit less bizarre and more inclusive. Sketch show. Sketch show, yeah. Right, okay. It was contemporaneous with Python. One of the members of the goodies was one of the original four Yorkshiremen in the four Yorkshiremen sketch. Oh my goodness, That is not a solely Monty Python sketch. They've just sort of co-opted it as the troupe still going around occasionally. But yeah, it was John Cleese, Graham Graham Chapman, Chapman. Tim Brooke Taylor, and Marty Feldman. Marty Feldman? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. Oh, I need to source a clip of that. So basically what I'm saying is the goodies are comedy royalty and have been since the 60s. So for me to say they're a Python B team is just a terrible insult. I, I apologize to or all to, three or, or of Or even you. to call them goonies. Yes. I mean, that's just shame on you. Yes. <laughs> He's also a legend in the world of puns. His entries to the Uxbridge English Dictionary are non-pare. He was the voice of Banana Man. Classic character. Yep. He's been on The Simpsons. Who hasn't? 
most British comedians. Okay. Clearly, <laughs> <laughs> really, they know who he is, the writer's room over there. And he was also in Max Warp. Right. As Jeffrey Vantage. Nicely worked it back to Eighth Doctor Adventures. Yeah. Nicely done. Oh, not wearing a hat, but here you go. I'm doffing it for you. Thelonious Monk, on the other hand, was a jazz pianist. That's true. <laughs> he loved B-flat and Parallel 6. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm done with the cast now. Okay, cool. <laughs> it was a pretty starry cast, though. It really was. For a sort of mid-series episode, you might not have expected that. But do you think, maybe they're just going all out for this season. Oh, because it's the at the time sort of last. At the time, it was the last one. Well, at the time, everyone is the last one, isn't it? No, I don't think so. I think this was set up to be the last Eighth Doctor Adventure series. Oh, I see. Like, they're not going to make another one after this. They have since, or they plan to do more, I'm not sure. They do weird little blocks yeah. these days. Isn't it Doom Coalition or something? I've oh, no idea. I don't what know what Doom Coalition sort of is. Things. But I mean, there are tons more Eighth Doctor audiobooks. Yeah, and even Lucy Miller series. has returned. Yeah. She point. has a, a whole series of her own, I believe. Oh, wow. Yeah. The Lucy Miller Adventures. Something like that. Doctor Adjacent. <laughs> you know, that's sort of <laughs> Where was Captain Jack? Probably with Lucy Miller. Or doing his own series as well, which I also believe he has. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Including a series with Spike from Buffy. Oh. Uh-huh. Which I haven't heard yet myself. Okay, just glancing at my notes, yeah. uh, at these bullet points, a couple of things stand out as kind of standouts. A name, Carissima Maxima, mm. as a location. Can you, all the descriptions surrounding what they were expecting, where they were expecting to land. I thought it was a nice take on the, oh, this is not where we were going, climbing out of the TARDIS with a beach ball and entirely the wrong attire for the time and place. That Dressed sort of for Space Rio. Exactly. This was nice. And Charisma Maxima is a great name. It's way better than Deterima Minima. Yes. <laughs> Gallifreyte? Oh, Gallifreyte. What's like... Gallifreyte? No, I'm just, this is not in my great list of bullets. Nor should it be. Because it's, it's like saying Earthite. Yeah, that's some Earthite over there. But what Earthite is sounds terrible. Well, I don't know. I mean, we have Earth. Well, yeah, and that's just <laughs> soil. Rub yeah. some soil on it. What was Gallifreyte in this? Liquid Gallifreyte, in fact. What's liquid Gallifreyte? I suppose it's just a metal suitable for making a circuit board out of. It's very like Robot of Sherwood. It is, isn't it? Yeah, you're right. It really is. This one came first and was better. <laughs> I was going to say. But I mean, even the circuit board element was better. That circuit board element made absolutely zero fuck all sense. Well, yeah, melting all the gold that the peasants don't have into gigantic circuit boards that may be used as fuel. Yeah, made no sense. Yeah, whereas this one is for a crashed TARDIS. Great. And you get the most skilled monks, the most precision engineered people on the planet at the time working on it. I thought that was really clever. Yeah, I agree. I wonder something now, actually. Oh? So this takes place after the Dalek's master plan. Okay. I'm trying to remember what happens to his TARDIS at the end of this. Because at the end of the Time Meddler, the Doctor fucks with his TARDIS. He steals a component that makes the TARDIS tiny. Like, it makes the TARDIS as small on the inside as it is on the outside. Oh! Which is a lovely idea. Yeah. So, sorry, spoilers for Time Meddler, but it ends on a shot of the monk opening the doors and, like, peeking in to the TARDIS. And his head is as large as the door. Oh, that's funny. So it's really, really nicely done. Yeah. But then, obviously, he can travel around space and time in the Dalek's master plan. Oh, so the Time Meddler comes first? The Time Meddler comes first. Then we get to this one. Mm. Where the monk is saying, actually, he took components from his TARDIS to... He, I mean, he needs to repair his TARDIS. Yeah, he needs a new directional unit. Exactly. Oh, it, it just seems unlikely, but I must be misremembering, that two monk serials both ended with the doctor stealing a component from the TARDIS. Yeah. This uh, seems but this odd. time it'll be a different component. He'll never see it come in. Yeah. He's not going to bolt everything down. Absolutely not. Right. I really like the ending, by the way. I like the idea of Tamsin Drew doing the old switcheroo, giving him the wrong component, and thus sabotaging his TARDIS. Yeah. yeah that was good, too. It was nicely done. And actually, good acting on the part of Tamsin Drew. Yeah. As in, you know, the monk didn't suspect anything. No. And McGann sold being hoodwinked by it as well. Yeah. Like, he got angry. That was plausible. I could buy it. It's as though... Tamsin Drew's performance at the end of the episode, or of this double audiobook, whatever, 
is Paul McGann, and her first performance as Sister Maria is Withmill. Okay. Right? Sorry, I... Uh, you know it better than me. I, uh, Paul McGann references. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, okay. Like, she proved herself in the end. Mm-hmm. Maybe I mean, she can exit the TARDIS now and actually pursue an acting career. We can get Lucy back. Yeah, that's her redemptive arc. <laughs> yeah. She's going to be top of the bill at the London Palladium exactly. at the end of the series. <laughs> He could just drop her off in a time when there are not quite as many competing actors on the stage. Yeah. People are going to be really impressed by her. I've been meaning to ask about the meddling monk. Uh-huh. You've seen him in a couple of serials. Yes. And you love him and the idea of him. I do, yeah. So how does Graham Garden measure up as a new monk? If this were a new doctor, this would be what we were leading with. He was less playful. Oh. He was less playful than the TV monk. I felt. The TV monk is almost like, picture a Batman villain. Oh, yeah. Like, like an Adam West Batman villain. <laughs> yeah. Just incredibly clever, very intelligent, no scruples whatsoever, but a little bit of a caricature of a person. Mm-hmm. And very often like, has to talk his way out of a situation because he's almost too clever for his own good. He will get backed up against a wall and then he will use his wit to talk his way back away from it. But in this one, he was maybe a little bit too composed. Oh. Too in control. Oh, I don't know. I mean, he, he had to weasel his way out of being backed into a corner by the king a couple of times. Yeah, I still didn't feel it quite as much as I did on TV. Okay. The, the fact that Lucy Miller towards the end, or Lucianus towards the end, mm. can talk about herself as the brains of the operation. Yeah, the clever one. Exactly and not have him say anything to the contrary, suddenly switches the Time Lord companion role between the two. Yeah. And that felt a little bit more monkey. Oh, okay. Like, it felt a little bit more like, oh, yeah, because he's the master, but as a buffoon. Does he have the same sort of, oh, things are going wrong, but I'm still a jolly fellow. Just glad to see you, Doctor. Well done for figuring everything out. Uh, I don't remember. Yeah, maybe. Because that was quite striking. He never got angry at any point. I mean, he said blast. He was a bit frustrated when his TARDIS wouldn't work right at the end. But apart from that, he was just bumbling along. I mean, that definitely feels a little time meddlery. Mm -hmm. So playful, so happy to just be committing a crime. (laughs) Oh, isn't this great? I'm gonna steal I have a time machine, but I'm gonna put together this incredibly elaborate plan to just steal one thing that is bejeweled. (laughs) <laughs> he doesn't <laughs> <Yeah>. need to <laughs> he does not need to <laughs> he could fly to a diamond planet yes yes exactly <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's just happy to be out and seeing his mates I really liked it <laughs> I wish there were more villains like that he's a better class of villain well you might get more of him well I'm really glad that he's coming back Yeah. because when that post credit scene began I was just happy that oh good he did survive And we will get more of him. Yeah, exactly. But that wasn't the point of it after all. Okay, I have a question for you. Okay. What did Darren Green from Two Doors Down want to show Tamsin? Well. (laughs) While they were playing sardines. Uh Uh-huh. Are you acquainted with the rules of the game, sardines? Nope. Nor I. I feel like this is an older generation sort of parlor game. Let me look it up. Hey, what? No. Oh, oh. Burn on other people. Yeah. You're uh-huh. old, Tamsin. <laughs> Is what Drew's trying to tell you. This was ten years ago. Right. Sure. So, because I know nothing about anything, I'm on Wikipedia. Oh, it's just hide and seek? What? Sardines can't just be hide and seek. I feel like it should be pack as many people into a confined space as possible. That's what I thought. And then once you are jam-packed up against someone else, it's a very small movement for you to do something awful. Oh, right. Oh, right. Okay. That's what I thought Darren Green was getting at. Right, right, right. I mean, I assume that uh, Dick was involved. Aha. Okay. Sardines is a game similar in concept to hide and seek, but the finder joins the found in their hiding place. So I suppose the last person to find the group of sniggering children is the loser. So there are multiple people looking. Yes. Right. This makes sense. Very good. And so while they're huddled together waiting for the rest of the gang, Darren Green sees his opportunity. Right. That's awful. Yeah. Right, okay. Good. I'm glad we got to the bottom of it, so to speak. Maybe it was his bottom. 
It might have been. It might also not have been anything of the sort. It could also just have been like, oh, have I showed you my pet frog? You know. Yeah. Or my matchbox car collection. Exactly. Yeah. Or my conjoined twin <laughs> that is sort of hanging off my hip. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It's still better than a cock. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Although the, the conjoined twin might have one, so you know. The delivery of this line is definitely designed to make you think of a dick. Ah, but or is, something vulgar. Is something that just vulgar. us thinking that other people listen with minds pure as the driven snow? I don't think that's the case. You cannot conceive of a mind that wouldn't think of dicks. Correct. <laughs> you, you are right. I also think that if this had been Lucy Miller, the doctor might have gone, yes, 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 I get it. And then she still would have finished the sentence. A dick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, I feel like that would have been in character. I'm a bit disheartened. I didn't get to meet Lucy Miller at her most risque and earthy and... Bawdy. <laughs> well, you can always go back. Yeah. And you can always go forward as well. I mean, mm. there's clearly going to be more Lucy Miller. And as said, she even has her own series. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So right at the beginning, mm-hmm. should have said this 50 minutes ago. Oh, Brother right. Timothy yeah. is an excellent screamer. He is a champion hollerer. Do you not think? Remind me of a scenario. The scenario is he's found the Vortasaur in the library. The Vortasaur is ailing. And it's the classic... Something awful happens. Oh, right. At the very, the very beginning. Tune. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And most people, just like in the Blackpool one. Death in Blackpool. Yeah, Death in Blackpool. Yeah. The guy has given the alien, or whoever it is, a lift and wants to chuck him out. And the alien's like, I'm not having any of that. Basically kills the guy. And the guy's, uh, and it's nothing like Brother Timothy just shrieking his head off. Yeah. <laughs> it's really something. I wonder if he's sitting in the sound booth. There's someone, you know, a producer on the other side of the glass, and Brother Timothy just goes, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pull down every knob. Pull it down as close to zero as possible, because I'm freaking going for it. Yeah. And they're like, okay, yeah, all right, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. Sorry, neighbors, because the Big Finish production team also has neighbors. Yeah. And then he just wails. Mm-hmm. Oh, I can see it. Yeah. Everyone applauds. Someone brings in a cake. And I'm especially sensitive to this after Peter Zunich reviewed Pandorica and correctly identified that we were too... Polite. Polite, yeah. <laughs> Thinking of the neighbours when, towards the end, we're like, uh, uh, Yeah, yeah. But yeah, Brother Timothy, no qualms. <laughs> Next time, fuck the neighbours. Yep. And or we record earlier in the day. Yep. We or, record those scenes. And or we or, invite them round for crowd scenes. And or we write no screaming into it. Oh, what no, fun would that be? That's clearly not going to happen, podcast Screaming in a ton of dicks. <laughs> <laughs> not necessarily adjacent. That's the title. <laughs> <laughs> we got ourselves a title. That's a two-parter. <laughs> Screaming, part two, ton of dicks. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, podcast land, it's way more than a two-parter. <laughs> it will be. <laughs> Bloody hell. I've got some trivia for you. Oh, please. This comes from a novel called No Future. I shall read this from TARDIS Wikia. Thank you, Dick. And perhaps you can help me with one particular word in it. The Doctor's last encounter with the monk occurred in London in 1976 during his seventh incarnation. On that occasion, the monk assisted the Vardens during their attempted invasion of Earth. Why do I bring this up? No idea. Because we just encountered the Vardens. Oh. Yeah, in our latest classic. The Invasion of Time? Correct, Mundo. They are the first invasion force. Oh, wow. Yeah, pretty sure they also only occur once in Classic Who. I like how, I mean, maybe this is just testament to how interwoven and self-referential all the Doctor Who stories are, but it seems like whenever we do a recording, we either link it back to the one in the other channel we did, or there's something in the new episode that aired that week that, yeah. that picks up on it or is a parallel of it. You're right. There are a lot of references back to Parallel Who. Mm. That's what happens. Maybe that's just something that happens after nearly 60 years of it. Yeah, I've already met the return of the spiders. Yes, you have. In fact, maybe this is something... Oh, but this was a novel that I just read some trivia about. But maybe this is also something that is more prevalent in non-TV Who. TV who is perhaps more likely to invent new aliens, with the exception of Cybermen and Daleks. And Zygons, maybe. Yeah. In New Who, certainly. 
but in non-TV Who, in order to link it to that franchise that you know and love and that you can visualize, maybe a simple cheat is to reuse one of those aliens. Oh, definitely. And thus, you automatically, just by virtue of the craft, reference yourself. And everyone knows what a pterodactyl looks like, so with a vortisaur, you're also fine. Problem solved. Yeah, exactly. Well, I remember... To mm-hmm. jump back to Lucy Miller, or Brother Lucianus, yeah. do you not think, on the second listen, that knowing that Brother Lucianus is Lucy Miller, that Lucy Miller is a bit shit in this episode? Oh. He, she is just walking along, talking to herself, letting Tamsin track her, and yeah. then gets rugby tackled by Tamsin, gives up the book immediately. Tamsin yep. basically lists all of Lucianus's flaws at the end of the episode, and they are many... And I thought Lucy Miller's better than that. Yeah, and also she's meant to be the brains of the operation. Yeah. Does this seem like Lucy Miller to you? Yes. Yeah? Yeah, because Lucy Miller was not a brilliant tactician or a, an unstoppable warrior. Mm-hmm. Lucy Miller was a, a chav with a heart of gold. She was rose, but charismatic. No, she was... She, wait, that was a terrible thing to say. Effectively, that's what she was. Okay. She would stumble. She would say the wrong things. I'm not saying she's infallible. I'm just saying, I assume this follows all her travels with the Doctor. You'd have thought she'd have learnt a thing or two. This seems like amateur hour. Yeah. And is she also that arrogant to be saying at the end, to another Time Lord, I'm the brains, even though I've just had the worst week? (laughs) Still the brains, though. Can you remind me how the last encounter with Lucy Miller ended? It ended with her and Doc on Blackpool Beach, and he'd breached her trust one too many times. Right. And she was going to go off and travel around Europe. Basically left him standing there, I think. Or one of them left the other there. And now all of a sudden she is conspiring against the Doctor. So it would seem... Maybe not knowingly. I mean, when she asked towards the end, what did he look like? Was he handsome? Blah, blah. It might be that she genuinely didn't see him. Yeah, he didn't see her because, as I said earlier... Claude Hopper Tamsin was standing Stand, on him yeah. in the chest. But could it hmm, could it otherwise be that she's being manipulated somehow? Has the monk found some way of... I mean, is the monk playing the doctor by kidnapping his former companion? Because she has knowledge, she knows stuff about what the doctor's up to, and maybe using her to track him, or, you, you know, he's somehow using her for his nefarious plan contra doctor. Yeah, and that would fit with him not contradicting her when she says, yeah, I'm the brains of the outfit, because he's letting her ego run riot. Yeah, and in fact, it's a compliment to himself, because he has planned her, he's programmed her to be the brains of the operation. Yeah. This could also be an explanation for why she's a bad guy. She's evil in this one, and maybe also why she is more fallible. Maybe, but... Intent doesn't correlate necessarily no, with effectiveness. No, 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 you're right. No, I don't know. There could yet be a twist. Yeah. Where the monk said, oh yeah, the Book of Kells was stolen in history, right? And I'm just like the Doctor, so we'll go and sort that mystery out for ourselves. She might think she was doing a good thing. I don't know why she needed to be in disguise. Yeah, I do, because you can't have a woman running around a monastery. But what's going to happen that, you know, I don't think she would do that. Okay. And also, it's such hypocrisy as well. If she left the Doctor because her principles dictated that he had not been honest and open enough with her, that it's worth sacrificing this life of adventure and learning countless things about time, the universe, life, everything, Mm -hmm. only to then join forces with someone else who can open up much the same horizons for her, but commit crimes... (laughs) Ah, but he's not told her their crimes. He's an out-and-out liar. The Doctor is trying to live the life of a good man, occasionally failing, whereas this guy is just flat-out deceiving her. Okay, but we're obviously going to end up in a situation where the Doctor and Lucy meet. Yes. As in, without a holographic whatever it is that she's wearing. Corset and wig. Good old-fashioned corset and wig, which the drama student couldn't see through. Wait, that was it? There was nothing else? Mm, well, and the vocoder. Yeah. Oh, yeah, hell to pay. That was good. Yeah, um, was it? Okay. But, well, yeah, I thought it was fun. Okay, fine. No disguise, and the doctor is there, she can see him. Yeah, I'm expecting her not to act like herself. Yeah, that is definitely the most likely outcome. Right. But I'm just saying, there could yet be a twist in the tale, so don't think you got it all figured. No, out, I, I, I absolutely... 
slash Leon. I absolutely don't think so. Just because you predicted the monk one time, suddenly you can prognosticate. (laughs) I also did not predict Lucy Miller showing up in there. That's true. Yeah. My mind was blown when that reveal came. Yeah, that was really good. Mm-mm. And I felt that having piggybacked on this channel for the last three of her adventures, <laughs> you've been with Lucy from the start. This was momentous, surely. It absolutely was. Can you imagine the danger I, I faced rushing through traffic on my bike when that reveal came? <laughs> Careening or careering. Yeah. <laughs> Your mouth wide open, pigeons flying into it. Oh yeah, every single one of them doing a double take. Very good stuff. It would be like Rose coming back and being evil. Yes. Yes. Wouldn't that be a thing? I mean, it would. It kind of was the bad wolf thing. We had Rose. I mean, someone in the image of Rose. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's not the same. No, you're right. It's not quite the same. But no, I agree. That would be a good parallel. Yeah, Bad Wolf wasn't as sinister as Lucy Miller going, Goodbye, Lucianus. Hello, Lucy Miller. Perfect. (laughs) And also, thank you. Now I don't have to do a soundbite. That was perfect. Lovely. Anything final before we jump into ratings? I'd just reiterate how articulate and charming I found Graham Garden. Just ever so slightly oleaginous and shifty. But on the whole, I'm really looking forward to hearing more of the monk. And he is quick with a pretext. I enjoyed pretty much all of those. I would say that he made Terence Hardiman seem very pedestrian by comparison. That may have just been his delivery. But did you not find that when he was talking about the 11th century political ramifications of the blah blah and Brian Boru... And yeah, it was l- incredibly undramatic. It didn't make for good <laughs> television, I was about to say. It, it, really, it wasn't particularly fiery. Yeah, he sounded like he was really concentrating on getting the accent right. But he did. He did. My goodness, did he? Yes, he ever. Perfect, but to the detriment of fire and performance. Yeah, but the character wasn't written to be particularly interesting. Well, give him fewer lines. Neither one of them. Neither one. I agree. Yes, that's also very fair. I haven't found in previous audiobooks that my mind wandered quite as much as in this one, and there is lots that is interesting in this one. I'm fairly interested in the 11th century monastic life, just Mm -hmm. as an unfamiliar milieu. (laughs) Glad I didn't get to the bottom of my bottle before trying to say that. Yeah, otherwise, it's just like, oh no, please. Please, come on. Something happen, please. I'll take another shoot at this point. Have Tamsin fall down another shoot straight onto Brother Bernard's head and catapult that head through the false wall that is just beyond his head. Oh dear, that was a bit much, wasn't it? That was a bit Scooby-Doo. It was very Scooby-Doo. As was her falling into the shithole. Yeah. Oh, I haven't said about how Jim Carter was good, actually. Which one was Jim Carter? Brother Bernard. Oh, right. Yes, 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 of course. Downton Abbey. Yeah. He has a, a way of delivering lines that is befitting of a head butler at Downton Abbey. Yes, he does. But, I mean, he does so in this one as well. He seems like he is incredibly well-mannered compared to the rest, who are occasionally dreadful people despite their roles. But he does also get really angry in this one. Is he the guy who says, what the blaze is? Or was that the monk? That sounds like him. Okay. Okay, one last note. All right, let's hear it. And this links into the other episode we'll be recording tonight. Mm. Tamsin says to the doctor, I hate you, at one point. Just really bad-temperedly. And I didn't think companions did that. Clara does, though. She does, in In the the episode we're we're about to review. And so I was doubly shocked. I wasn't jo- I felt like that was indicative of a warmer, closer relationship between these two characters than they have hitherto exhibited. Well, it must be warmer and closer to put up with the strain that she puts on it, because they don't seem that friendly unless they have developed a rapport off screen or off ears or whatever. <laughs> Out of frame. I don't feel like she's earned that yet. No, I don't think so either, especially given that this is the first one that she produced. Oh, sorry, the the first production that she was a part of. Yeah. They haven't spent that much time together. Even as actors, they don't have this rapport yet. Yeah, she's not showing the Doctor one bit of respect. Yeah, it's too soon for it, is a thing. It is too... I agree with you. It is too soon for it. When Clara does it later on, we might talk about it later, who knows, but when Clara does it, it really feels like, yeah, your friends, you can say something like that in jest to your friends. Yeah. It's bants, right? Quote. Badinage. But she is a Lucy Miller facsimile. Yeah. And partly a Donna Noble facsimile. I reckon she's pretty much a mixture of Lucy Miller and Donna Noble. Okay. 
I would characterise her as. But Donna Noble didn't want to be in the TARDIS from the get-go. She turned up as the runaway bride and was like, I don't want to be here. Whereas Tamsin Drew, two episodes, was pleading with the Doctor to take her away from her boring life. She applied for the job. Yeah. Yeah. And yet she's now showing no sign of fear that he might rescind the offer, Mm. no matter how horrible she is. Yeah. Not that she should be treading on eggshells or anything, but just dial it back a bit. I agree. Okay, well, shall we jump into ratings? Let's do that. And now it is time to rate this. Did we laugh or hate this? Bing bong, bing bong, hey, la 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 Ratings. As I said previously, it is one hell of a twist that I did not see coming at all. So that adds a 0.5. This episode used the same. Here's one big surprise, i.e. the monk. So the second surprise is a double surprise. A, that there's a surprise, <laughs> another surprise, and B, that it's an even bigger surprise than before, which uh-huh. Fugitive of the Jadoon would turn into like a triple. So well done them. I'm going to give it a 3.8. <gasps> Up from a 3.3. This serial did a really good job of making it seem dark and damp and dank and dingy and oppressive. Throughout, it was rainy and there were candles, and I was right there in most of the scenes. My mind did wander when King Citric started on another of his stately orations about how the Battle of Leinster led to turbulence and I could drown (laughs) in the uprising waters, and there were these bloody Valkyries. Whenever Citric went off on one, please... There's no queen who can shut him up. None of his subjects have the power. Oh, it was dreadful. So I didn't like many of those bits, which is a shame because I love the demon headmaster. But every time Graham Garden was saying something, I was filled with expectation and most of it was realised. I could have listened to him read out the whole thing. Tamsin, no, still a source of irritation. Both irritated in her delivery and irritating in my reception of it with all her bumbling and sarcasm. We, we didn't really need that. It didn't add much. It was fun to listen back to how Doc never got to see Luciana's face and to hear Sheridan Smith or Ash Hidminster. Yeah, that was good. So 3.8. All right. Excellent. Okay, so I had only written a couple of bullet points before we started recording, and I just supplemented them. But the first thing that I had written was, Doc and Tamsin have great bants. Oh. But now you have opened my eyes and ears to the inherent hubris of their rapport. So (laughs) I'm no longer quite so convinced. Whoops. No, that's fine. This is what happens when we review stuff. (laughs) Something that I did write, however, and that I do still agree with, is that while Tamsin is more eloquent and does indeed possess a marginally broader horizon of cultural references than Lucy Miller, I still don't think that there's a huge difference between the two. She is a facsimile. I agree with you. Not that different. There's nothing aside from her acting and that one scene that I highlighted before. Really not that much that makes her a character in her own right. Which is a shame, because I think Nikki Wardley does a great job. But yeah, just to highlight a couple of things, they're in similar situations, they're equally competent and or incompetent, they even both have a habit joke in this one. Yes, they do! Yeah, which effectively bookends this episode. Mm. Tamsin's habit joke is very close to the beginning, and the other one is in the post-outro sequence. They are the same character, they might as well be. But I am kind of glad, in contrast to you, I'm glad that we do have Tamsin because I feel like just to have the opportunity to pit these two against each other offers the narrative scope that it normally is only afforded to, ah, my long lost evil twin stories, which we might get here. I would like to see some sort of very brainy fight between the two where they both have a Time Lord at their disposal. One uses her acting chops and the other one her chaviness, and they meet and clash in the middle. It's going to be great. So like Doctor episode Who's Pokemon. Nine. Yeah, I was, well, episode nine, go to hell. Chavizard. Yeah. yeah, yeah, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, to be honest, after one listen, I would not have been able to review this properly. I'm not sure that I did anyway, but I definitely would have been able to at that point because I found it a little bit too chaotic at times. A second listen, however, revealed that there's not actually that much to review here. Oh, there's a bit of to and fro and back and forth, a bit of intricacy in the old how Tamsin thinks that Brother Bernard is the one who's getting it wrong and he's in league with Lucianus and so she's going to get her hand chopped off. Yeah, I didn't think that there's that much in it. I agree that there's lots of tension in that scene. I even singled that out in my notes before. That scene, I felt genuine peril, even though I know that nothing's going to come of it. But I still felt, oh, wow, this is an exciting set piece that they're setting up. But that was it. 
The rest is fairly monotonous dialogue, literally just trying to set up the next plot point, setting up the next plot point, the next plot point, and there aren't that many plot points, possibly because it's limited to one location and a very short space of time. Yeah. Very short space of time. Does this all happen within the space of a couple of hours or something? Yeah, definitely a single night. Yeah. So not as elaborate as many of the other ones that we've had. So what remains for me to say is really just that, possibly because of the limited scope, Doc, usually Paul McGann's 211, here he's at a stable 7 on the Paul McGannometer. Um, <laughs> the ancillary characters are well acted, not particularly fleshed out. Those that are fleshed out are kind of fleshed out in the wrong places. You mentioned the meandering soliloquies on politics and yada yada yada. The production is very good, though, I thought. The unsheathing of swords didn't bother me, and the ambience was spot on. My goodness, that twist in the end. But most of all, so much fun to revive the monk. Mm -hmm. So could you please do me a favor and read out the rating that I (laughs) wrote for this? I believe that's a 3.8. Yes, please believe me, that's a 3.8. For slightly different reasons than you. Yeah. But still. Also, I'm overcompensating because of what you said in the beginning. I really want to be generous yeah. here. Different reasons, wildly different trajectories, same result. Correct, Amundo. <laughs> I've got two more points. Okay, let's hear them. Yep. <laughs> Is had... it too late for me to change my rating? No. We had okay. a Doctor Who in this episode that I really liked. Oh, wait, I missed it. Which one was it? It's when McGann thinks that Brother Bernard is the monk and he's saying, I've been a thorn in your side throughout your past. I've met you here, here, here. I am the doctor. Who? Bernard comes back with who? Because he doesn't know who he is. So Doctor Who works. I love it. I missed it. I missed it. Yeah. Why did I miss it? I love those. I will give that one a pass. More than a pass. (laughs) A hearty handshake. There's another point. Okay. Potatoes. Anachronistic potatoes. Oh, yes, yes. See... Potatoes are a new world crop. They were brought back once the Americas had been discovered by Walter Raleigh or whoever it actually was. Oh, so true. So what are they doing serving Lucy Miller some sort of fermented potato drink or what would they they would have used apples or something. Yeah. They called it something like Pachin. Yeah. I couldn't actually hear what it was, so I couldn't look it up. That is Is a brilliant observation. The only thing I can think is that the monk is doing some more meddling. Love it. Love it. Oh, I, it almost deserves a 0.1 for that. Just for that. <laughs> Potatoes arriving in Ireland 600 years too early. <laughs> <laughs> so for that reason alone, I will forgive it. Just in case. Brilliant. <laughs> Listener minis. Now let's hear from podcast land. Max 250 or it would get out of hand. Bing bong, future Leon here with a listener mini that was submitted after we recorded uh, Apologia, by the way, Podcast Land. We recorded this one at very short notice. And then it went to Drew to edit, and now it's come to me to drop. And somewhere in between, we received this fantabulous mini review by Chris Zarella. Hello, Buffella. Hi, Chris. Chris says, I've been waiting several incarnations of the Doctor for a straight historical, and I felt like I almost had it. I loved when Doc 1 or Doc 2 would get stuck in historical events. However, when the monk came on board, I was not disappointed. He really starts to tie the story arc of this series together. I really enjoy the ensemble cast as well. Of them, I give high praise to Terence Hardiman, who plays Rassilon in the Gallifrey audio range, and Jim Carter, whose only other Who connection is that his wife did voice work in The Girl Who Waited. Ooh, interesting trivia. Okay. I still dislike Tamsin, but we've got progress because I didn't say hate. (laughs) Put that on a cover. Spoiler, adds Chris, she finally grows on me and I'll have good things to say about her at the end of the series. Mm -mm. Highest rating yet this series, 3.3 from Chris Z. Very nice stuff. Thank you very much. An excellent mini as always. Do you agree? Do you disagree, Podcast Land? Uh, Well, uh, I'm not sure if Chris is on Twitter, but you can pop a reply comment on whobackone.com. Let him know how you feel. Cool. Thank you very much, Chris. Let's get back to the show. Bing bong. Right. Okay. Well, I think that neatly rounds off this audio Whovian soiree. What have we got coming up next? Very shortly in our case... We have The Caretaker. Thereafter, there'll be a classic, namely The Ribos Operation. That sounds like the first meh title in a while. How dare you? There have been many meh titles. <laughs> in, in the Baker era, there's been one zinger after another. Now it's The Ribos Operation. I think this is going to be fantastic. Oh, okay. Yeah. 
<laughs> Don't judge a book by its cover, especially as the Book of Kells doesn't have one. And then we will have an audio review. It's a double feature. Shall we do it at the same time? Yes, we'll be reviewing Deimos and the resurrection of Mars. Correct, Amundo. In the meantime, you can say hello to us online. Drew, you can be found as? Drew back when? Excellent branding. I can be found as Ponkin. When are you going to change that? Eventually. And <laughs> <laughs> Once you hit 1,000 followers. <laughs> so you can make this happen, Podcast Land. Sure, in 15 years' time at this rate. <laughs> <laughs> when we catch up. How convenient. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. You've been a lovely audience, as always, Podcast Land. Until the next time, rock on and cha ciao. Bye-bye. Kablamo! Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends. But I've got no friends. No problemo. Tell some strangers. Hey! Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash whobackwhen. All in one word. Are you into Twitter? Awesome. High five us online and we'll high five you right back. You guessed it. We're at whobackwhen. All in one word. Check us out on Instagram for behind the scenes photos and other Whovian goodness. Watch our videos or even listen to our podcast on YouTube. That's whobackwhen.com slash YouTube. Vote us up on Reddit. Listen to us on Stitcher and head on over to our website whobackwhen.com where you can submit a review of your own, browse the article archives and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters, and more, which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps our show get noticed and earns you lots of karma points. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next Who review or bonus episode. Until then, cha ciao. Who back when?